Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season two of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, December 12th, the year of our Lord, 2021. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the Word of God. Ladies, today we are examining Psalms 53, which is a near repetition of Psalms 14 that we studied back in October, with the exception of a few minor changes and the last three lines of verse 5. I also realized in my study that Psalm 14 and 53 are also repeated in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. So this means that God has repeated himself three times on the subject matter in this psalm. The question is, why? When God repeats himself in scripture, he is not doing it because he likes to hear himself speak, but rather because he is calling our attention to something. Today, we're going to study Psalm 53, also known as a repeated psalm, and figure out why God is repeating so much of this text in the Bible and identify what God is calling our attention to. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today, we are looking at Psalms 53, also known as a repeated psalm. To figure out why God is repeating so much of this text in the Bible and to identify what God is calling our attention to. Our scripture reading is taken from Psalms chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. And I will be reading today from the New International Version of the Bible, if you want to follow along with the scripture reading. Now, beginning at verse 1 of Psalms 53, the word of God says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt in their ways, are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. But there they are overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. 
God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame for God despised them. All that salvation for Israel will come out of Zion when God restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. Ladies, as I pointed out in the introduction of this show, this Psalm 53 is a near repeat of Psalm 14 and Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. The question I asked myself when I realized these near repetitions was, first, why is it repeated? And second, what is so important that God would repeat himself three times? It is important to pay attention to words and or phrases that are repeated in biblical text because they indicate that God is emphasizing something to the reader. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce put it this way. He said, not many things in the Bible are said word for word more than once. If the words are repeated, it is for emphasis. They are important. Anything God says once demands attention. Anything he says twice demands our most intent attention. How then if he says something three times? This demands our keenness, concentration, contemplation, assimilation, and even memorization. According to the Collect from the Book of Common Prayer, repeated words and or phrases in the biblical text, we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. So let's do that as we unpack Psalms 53. Let's begin by noting the few slight differences between Psalms 14 and Psalms 53. In verse 1 of Psalms 14, the psalmist uses the word deed, but in Psalms 53, the psalmist uses the word ways. In verse 3 of Psalms 14, the psalmist changes the phrase, all have turned aside, to everyone has turned away in Psalms 53. And in verse 4 of Psalms 14, the psalmist uses the word the evildoers. But the psalmist changes these words in Psalms 53 to the word evildoers. These changes are minor and seem to raise or increase the sentiment in the psalm. A change that is more important is the changing of the name Jehovah or Lord in Psalm 14 to Elohim or God in Psalm 53. Both of the Psalms, Psalms 14 and 53, reference God seven times. However, in Psalms 14, Elohim, or God, appears only three times, and Jehovah, or Lord, appears four times. But in Psalms 53, the word Elohim, or God, is used in every instance. If Psalm 14 is the original song, as most commentators think, it is hard to explain the change of Jehovah or Lord to Elohim or God. 
that predominate in book one of the Psalms, while Elohim or God predominates in book two of the Psalm. Now, those are the minor changes with the exception of the name for Jehovah or Elohim. But there is one significant change that occurs in Psalms 53, verse 3, which replaces verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 14. Psalms 14, verses 5 and 6 seem to be speaking to the fools in Israel. It says, there they are overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Now in Psalms 53 verse 5, the psalmist seems to be addressing evildoers who have attacked Israel. We assume they are the Gentiles. It says, there they are, overwhelmed with dread where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame for God despised them. Now, I'm not sure what incident this Psalm is referring to, but it could be referring to the scattering and defeat of foreign armies in the days of Hezekiah or Isaiah found in 2 Kings chapters 18 through 19. And if it does, then the author of Psalms 53 probably altered David's original Psalm 14 in order to apply it to this new situation. Nevertheless, let's look at what the text is saying to us today. When we studied Psalms 14 back in October, we determined that it is about atheism, which is a disbelief or lack of belief in the existence of God, and that an atheist is a fool because he knows that God exists by God's own revelation of himself in nature. But the fool suppresses that knowledge because he doesn't want to acknowledge God. That, simply put, is sin. So a fool is one who sins by denying the existence of God. With this understanding, we can look at Psalms 53 for what it has to teach us about sin, considering its nature, fruit, and consequences. And this is what God is emphasizing and calling our attention to by repeating words and phrases of this Psalms three times in biblical texts. The great Bible commentator, Matthew Henry speaks of eight points in the psalm, seven of which has to do with sin, and the eighth, by contrast, with the faith of the saints. All eight of his points begin with the letter F, and I'm going to adopt Matthew Henry's points for this Bible study. So the first point that Henry makes is the fact of sin, F-A-C-T. Henry begins with the reality of sin in verse 2 by saying that God looks down from heaven and sees it. You and I may not always see sin in ourselves or in others because we tend to turn a blind eye to it, especially when we're confronted with the truth of our own sins. We make up excuses like, 
I didn't mean to do it. You don't understand what happened. It really wasn't like that. Or it wasn't my fault. In other words, we pretend that our actions were not sinful or that they were somehow justified. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam committed the first sin. He tried to absolve himself of sin, of all responsibility, by first blaming God and then his woman, Eve, who blamed the serpent. The problem with denial is that we are not the last court of appeal or even the judge. We are the accused and the one who knows all the facts of the case prepares the indictment, prosecutes us, and render judgment. That is God. Omniscient God. And before him, all hearts are open, all desires known. And it is he who says in verse 3, everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is the fact of sin. The second point Henry makes is the fault of sin, F-A-U-L-T. It describes another way that we deal with sin so that we can live with it without feeling guilty. We minimize sin by considering it a weakness or imperfection as impossible as opposed to a serious transgression that inevitably harms us and wounds others. This is evident in our foolishness, but God is nobody's fool and he does not tiptoe around the bush when it comes to sin. He tells it like it is. In verse 1, God says that sinners are corrupt and that their ways are vile. In verse 3, he says they have turned away from the correct path. And in verse 4, God says that sinners are evildoers who devour other people. So you want to stay away from sinners, okay? These verses describe the sinner's relationship to God, ourselves, and to others. As far as God is concerned, they have turned from him, which means they are pursuing an anti-God path. As far as we are concerned, we have become corrupt and vile, meaning we are destroying ourselves and our sin is offensive both to God and to others. As far as others are concerned, they are being harmed by our sinful acts. Sin is no little deal. It is a big deal with great and harmful faults. Think about that. The third point that Henry makes is the fountain of sin. F-O-U-N-T-A-I-N, the fountain of sin. He asked the question, how is it that men are so bad? He goes back to verse one to answer this, his own question. He says, it is because they say in their hearts, there is no God. This is an atheist. And the Bible calls one who denies the existence of God, a fool. In Psalms chapter 14, verse one, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. What he is saying is whether God exists or not. There is no God for me. 
This disbelief is the source of all of our troubles because in Psalms 8, we see that God has placed man and woman in a mediating position in the universe between God and the angelic angels who are above him or her and the beast below. As such, we have the privilege and a responsibility to look up and become increasingly more like the one in whose image we are made. For the one who claims that there is no God, the only way he or she can look is down. The fourth point Henry makes is the folly of sin. Folly, F-O-L-L-Y. It is folly because whether we acknowledge it or not, God does exist. And one day we will all stand before God and give an account of every word we have ever spoken and every deed we have ever done. And on that day, when you stand before God, what excuse will you give? Will you dare say, I didn't know you existed? How do you suppose that will sound to God who has gone all of his way to reveal himself to you in creation and his son Jesus and in his divine written word? Have you taken the time to read and study God's story of creation for his revelation? Have you investigated the claims of Jesus Christ? Have you ever read the Bible? If you stand before God and answer no to either of these questions, you are going to insult him further than your denial of his existence. The fifth point Henry makes is the filthiness of sin. Sin is filthy. Sin is deceptive because it masquerades as something beautiful and desirable, but it is actually repulsive and destructive. The psalmist uses the words corrupt and vile. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the apostle Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The sixth point that Henry makes is the fruit of sin. Fruit, F-R-U-I-T. Sin not only destroys the one who pursues it, but verse four of our text shows us how sin impacts others. It says, they devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. Unfortunately, we live in a dog-eat-dog world where evildoers devour the weak and the poor as though eating bread without scarcely a thought in order to become richer and stronger. But the righteous among us do genuinely care about what happens to others and will do that which is right, sometimes at great personal cost to themselves. In them, we see a spirit of generosity in their desire to help others. The seventh point that Henry makes is the fear and shame that attends sin. Fear, F-E-A-R. And verse five of our text, we read of the significant change to Psalm 14 that I mentioned earlier. 
I also mentioned the possibility of this verse referring to the scattering of foreign armies in the days of Hezekiah and Isaiah found in 2 Kings chapters 18 through 19. There are numerous stories in the Bible of God sending unreasoning terror into the hearts of Israel's enemies. For example, Joshua 10 tells of the confusion of the armies of southern Cana when the Jewish troops fell, fell on them, like uh, at Gibeon. Judges 7 recounts the battle of Gibeon and his small army of 300 men against the Midianites. When all they did was surround the Midianite camp by night, expose their lanterns, and blow their trumpets, the Midianites were so terrified they turned against one another. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, after Jonathan and his armor bearer had killed some 20 of the Philistines, the Bible says panic struck the whole army, and Saul and his larger army routed or destroyed them. In all of these cases, the more panic overtook Israel's enemies, where there was no adequate human cause for it. So consider that if that had been so when there was no cause, how much more the fear will be when sinners are confronted by the enormity of their transgressions before the presence of the thrice holy God. And Luke chapter 23, verse 30, Jesus says, they will say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. But the hills will answer to the God who created them, not to those who have opposed them. And the evildoers will be forced to stand before God and give an account of all they have ever said and done. Finally, the eighth point that Henry makes continues with the alliteration of words beginning with the letter F. We talked about fact, fault, fountain, folly, filthiness, fruit, and fear of sin. This last point turns from sin to the contrasting portrait of the true people of God found in verse 6 of Psalms 53. Henry calls this the faith of the saints. Faith, F-A-I-T-H. The saints of God live in a cruel world in which fools act and speak as if there is no God. In this cruel world, sin abounds and the perpetrators of evil habitually destroy and devour the righteous as if eating bread and without a second thought. Yet in the midst of this ever-present danger, the saints look up and wait for the salvation that comes from Zion. Zion is the hill of Jerusalem on which the city of David was built, the heavenly city or kingdom of heaven. When this psalm was written, salvation for Israel was still in the future and not an earthly deliverance from the Canaanites, the Midianites, or the Philistines, or the Assyrian armies. Those were temporary physical deliverances. 
The salvation that the righteous looked to was God or is God himself. And in particular, the Savior God, whose coming had been prophesied so many times and echoes even now in the Old Testament. The Savior, that Savior, was Jesus Christ. Now, we who live on the after side of his coming look back to him as the one who alone delivers us from sin. We put our faith in him and in his work rather than our own as the basis of our salvation. And we look forward to his second coming, knowing that in the day when sin will be punished, goodwill will be rewarded. And the folly, the foolishness of those who have lived as if there is no God will be revealed. So ladies, if you live your life as if there is no God, if you have proclaimed there is no God for me, I implore you to repent of your folly and ex exercise the smart, wise choice of acknowledging and accepting God as Lord and Savior. This, the wise person knows that there is a Savior and that he or she is in need of a Savior. When a wise person recognizes the Savior as revealed to you by God in creation, and the death of his son, Jesus, and in his divine written word, that person believes on him and follows him forever. This is why God repeats himself in Psalms 14, Psalms 15, and Romans chapter 3. And this is what God is calling our attention to. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, by the Tithely app at Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Second, at GiveLify.com. That's G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y.com. You may donate to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Third, by the PayPal at Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole at gmail.com, or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at PO Box 34637 in Los Angeles, California, 90034. Don't forget to join me or check in with me again next week for another episode of Broken Vessels, Midden and Whole on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice, that's J-A-N-I-S, Nelson, I'll be on today as well at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, take good care and may God continue to bless you. Thank you.